All right, small groups, our signups are open, so I hope you guys are all able to kind of jump in and, and be a part of a group. Um, how many of you in here are already in a group? You just kind of see a, wow, that's great. Um, and, and so I think, I think groups are a big, are one of the primary things that we focus on. We, we love having people be able to find a place to be a spiritual family, and small groups is one of the ways that we, we see that kind of fulfilled here at Vintage. Um, so this morning we're going to continue diving into the book of Ephesians and setting up where we kick off next week in our in our small groups. Um, and in doing so, you know, one of the things that I want to just kind of explain to everybody to start with is kind of understanding the plan and process of what we're looking to have take place and what kind of the plan and process is for for groups and God's 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 word and the truth being applied into our life. You see, if. How many people in here have done a small group that was a Bible study? Another, another, another show of hands. That's probably just about everybody. And what mostly, you know, in my experience kind of growing up of what you get in a Bible study is you're walking through, you know, the text of Scripture and learning about the information. And you're examining the truths of, of God and the things that he's teaching us and giving us to us in his word. And we're trying to move beyond that. In this study, so it, the study is different than what you may have experienced in a small in a in a Bible study before. We're not just looking at the text and verse to to be able to understand the information. We're observing the text. We're trying to gain this information, this interpretation of Scripture, for the purpose of applying it into our lives. And unfortunately, because I think in the this is just kind of my own thoughts. In the, in the West, we, we've, we've founded so much in an education plan and system that we just kind of revert to what we know. And what we know is, well, you teach, you know, in a, in a Bible study, you're teaching scripture, and that is true. But you're teaching people to be able to move point to the place of information. Unfortunately, a lot of times that Bible studies stop at the point of information, and they don't go on to the point of application, Right. And because we too often stop at the information, like I understand what is being said and I understand the truths of God, but I haven't learned how, and that's the big word, how do I now apply this truth into my life? That's what we do together in group. That's what we're focused on. Because where we stop at information, we oftentimes miss the transformation that that truth can bring as we learn to apply God's truths into our lives. So that's a big part of why and kind of systematically or strategically why we do groups the way we do them because we want you to be able to encourage and build up each other in the faith and in the truths that we're diving into in scripture and be able to apply them in their in your life so that you can be a transformed person and be a transformed agent for the kingdom of God but just having information to work with doesn't offer the world what God wants to offer through you fair that's a little bit about the understanding and kind of philosophy of why we're doing groups the way we are. And that's our intent. That's our hope is that you're you're experiencing the transformation of what Jesus Christ wants to bring into your life as you as you apply these truths. So in, in going through Ephesians, we did last fall, we did the first three chapters of Ephesians. And this fall, we're picking up in verse four, I mean, chapter four and doing chapters four through six. So the second half of Ephesians and as Steve talked about last week. There's a, a clear hinge from from closing chapter three, where Paul literally says amen to what he's stating there and then picks up in chapter four, verse one, which is what we looked at a little bit last week and where we're going to pick up from moving forward. 
in four through chapters four through six. And so that's what we're going to kind of look at an overview to start with this morning in chapters four through six. And I want you to hear this kind of overview piece of the reality of what we we need to be able to see in the book of Ephesians. And and the first three, there are three things. Number one, God has reconciled individuals to himself. We were estranged from God. We were separated from God because of sin in our life. And he has reconciled individuals to himself. Number two, God has reconciled and saved these individuals to each other. So he has saved and reconciled us to each other. And God has unified these reconciled individuals to become one body, the church. Now, if you're going to be able to glean what I'm hoping to share with you this morning, then I think it's, it's by something that the Spirit does. And, and one of the things that I've been praying into what the Spirit does this morning is that we take what we have thought of and what we have known of our concept and our understanding of what the church should be, and we set it on the shelf. And we rethink church by looking at this book. So what I just taught, what I just mentioned to you about small groups is one of the ways we, we rethink things. Small groups are not just a place that you kind of check the box. You say, okay, yeah, I'm connecting with other people in the church. No, small groups in this context are the reality of what the church is called to be in the fullness of the crucifixion in our lives. Because where we live an individual, simply in an individual relationship with our father, we are missing out on a primary part of what is taught in Scripture, that we should be unified as a body. Now, I don't know what your concept of church may have been, but again, maybe set that aside and hear the truth of what God is saying as we dive into these Scriptures this morning, that the fulfillment, the reality, a big part of our Christian faith is in the fact that we are re- we should be reconciled to one another and we should be living in community, supporting one another, being the church, one body. And I don't know what church you grew up in, but it took me a number of years of being in the church as an adult before I started to understand this reality of a community that God has placed me in. Just during worship this morning, I was just praying, you know, over the message and, and what you're about to hear. I just got this picture, right? And the, the fullness and the reality of the gospel as we hear it should should really raise our, our meter of hope. You know, like in the, just the picture I got in my mind was like a, a desperate, thirsty man traveling across a desert and seeing a well and just having this hope that there is water there. We've all been thirsty. But that should be the reality of what people experience and what people come to know by being in relationship with you. Because it would be one thing to see this well and to see this, these stones. Just imagine back in Jesus' day, these stones kind of creating a, a, a place that you can lower a bucket into the ground and pull water up. And you see a rope hanging there. But what if there was nothing on the end of the rope? What if there was no bucket? What if there was nothing to drink from? There was just a rope going down. How am I going to get this this water that is life-giving and is going to save my life as I'm traveling through the desert out of the ground up here to where I can drink it and find life in it. And the reality of that analogy is that that's you. And that's me. That we are the cup. We are the bucket that 
that transports and that that he fills by his grace. He fills with this life giving water to be a source of life to one another. And let me just ask you, do you have people like that in your life that you are living in community with and that you are giving that type of community for? Because if it's in alignment with the gospel, it's less about getting and more about giving. It's more about being that cup. It's more about being that bucket of offering this life-giving hope and transformation to the thirsty traveler that may be a a life-or-death moment. Are you being that cup? Are you being that bucket? Because that's the good news of what Ephesians, as we turn the chapter, as we we turn the page and we begin looking at Ephesians chapter 4 in these things, that there is this body that we are to be. Serving and building each other up. So there are two foundations. And and when Steve jumped into Ephesians chapter one, I mean, verse one, chapter four, verse one last week, two kind of foundations that he laid out there for us last week. The first is this this love for God. He said, you've got to walk the walk, right? It's one thing to talk the talk, but it's a whole nother thing to walk the walk. We actually have to participate. We actually have to be the transform agents. We actually have to. Give ourselves to the point of community that we're looking to be used as vessels. You know, in a, in a small group training I did a few weeks ago, I met with, you know, a handful of you. And, and one of the things we talked about, just imagine, again, rethinking church, just imagine coming to church on Sunday morning where everybody who is coming to serve, all the people in hospitality, all the people serving in, in, in the children's area, and all the different, you know, folks that call this home were prayed up. And came prepared saying, God, how do you want to use me this morning as a tool? How do you want to use me this morning to bless other people? How do you want to use me in ministry to care for and to support and build up other people I'm going to come across this morning? Right now, that's rethinking church. And really, that's not rethinking church. That's just looking at scripture and saying what church is saying it should be a body building up and supporting one another. We're going to get further into this in the next couple of weeks. But again, if you grew up in a church like I did, like that kind of seems like a whole nother plan than what I knew. Like I, I kind of thought, well, you'd go to church and you, it, it, even though I didn't think I was checking a box, I'm kind of checking a box and kind of doing the thing. I heard the, 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 the message that morning. I tried not to fall asleep, right? I, uh, I hoped he would talk a little faster. And so I'm going to talk faster just to fulfill that hope you have, right? And maybe that's all you hear from me this morning, but I hope it's not. Because the reality is this word changes our life, but we have to rethink church, friends. We have to reimagine the possibilities and we have to find those possibilities by what we see here happening in the New Testament through the book of Acts. By what we see these instructions being given in these letters that that Paul and Peter and, and John are writing, you know, to the church. So one of the ways that we see that. So number one is what Steve talked about. You know, the, the first foundation is love for God. We have to walk the walk. We, he talked about, you know, that there is this like this balance scale to live a life worthy, right? To live a life worthy of in balance to all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's what we see when we look at the first three chapters of this book in response to chapters four through six. In response to what is said in chapters one through three, all that Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. Now we should be living with a weight on in our lives, looking to reflect back in worship by how we're living in response that the focus, the primary reality of our life 
is to respond in an act of worship and to love one another and to to focus on the reality of the relationships in our lives. And in response to all that he has done, give ourselves over as an act of worship, living to the reality of loving Jesus Christ and loving our neighbor. That's what this word worthy is about, this balancing of scales. Are we bringing something to the to 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 the table in that and living in response to this gracious gospel that's been presented to us? And the second foundation is that we love one another. And that's where we kind of move out of out of verse one and two. And we we start to move into verses four, five, six and seven, that there is this one body. There's this there is this reality. There's one spirit, one body, one Lord, that there is a unity that is required in the Christian church. Now, again, rethinking and reimagining church. I don't know what you how that may come as a as a reality to you. But just if you were to stereotypically talk about the Christian church, Roman Catholic Church, Protestant Church, all the denominations within the Protestant Church, Greek Orthodox Church. Right. And you look at the snapshot of, quote, the big C church. Does it look like a united body? We need to rethink it. We need to rethink the reality that we're looking to try to find a a division amongst ourselves and be able to look at the things that unify us and the things that are in agreement with the creeds. And where there is where there's agreement with the creeds, then this is a brother or sister that I'm looking to be a vessel to minister to and to support. But primarily in a local church. Right. That's where it mostly focuses on you and me. What is the reality of how then do we brace being a community that's being instructed to and that we see being mentioned here? That there's one body, one Lord. And just how often do we find division amongst ourselves, even in our own household, not to mention among people in the church that hurt our feelings or do things different than how we'd want to do it. Or maybe the music is different or maybe the preaching's different or maybe something's different than the way I would want it or how I would do it. Right. Those are the little splinters and little fractions, fractures that come in and try to divide the church. But the reality is a love that moves us to a place of unity, that combines us in the faith, that that is the spirit of God moving in our lives as we look to serve one another. Is this powerful life that we get to be a part of. But we probably have to rethink what our expectations are. And we probably have to rethink what am I embracing as church? Because I can talk about this for hours. And if you need me to, then we will. But the reality is, if just receiving that truth and beginning to look to apply it into your life is the heart of who we are at Vintage. Because I'll be honest, friends, where we're not leading you to a place of applying these truths and leading you, therefore, therefore, being a place that you're you are investing yourself in community and others lives. And also having them be able to invest into your life, then then we really are just playing a game. We really are playing the enemy's game. Because it's it's the plan of the enemy. If you can see it just in the the riddled story over and over again, the divisions within church. Right. And I'm not saying that there isn't a place for there to be division over over certain things, specifically where there's a breaking off of a creed, specifically where there is something that is disagreement with God's truth. Right. Then there should be a place for division. But in reality of what we're talking about, we really first have to be able to embrace a unity. A spirit that unifies 
And that's what we're diving into. That's what we see in these these passages that we're looking at in in chapter four, one through seven. Kind of flying up about a thousand feet over the rest of the, these these next three chapters. I just kind of want to want you to look at and understand how focused Paul is in this message that the spirit of God has given him to de, to define and declare to the church this community and this foundation of community, this foundation of being a body together. God reconciled us to himself and he is reconciling us to one another to be able to be a body where Christ is the head and each of us are a part. We each have a role to play. We each have a responsibility to participate in. In looking at that, as I just combed through these these passages in these in these chapters this week, I came up with nine relationships. Okay? Nine relationships that we see in the second half of Ephesians. The first relationship that we see in chapter four is the church as a whole. One body, unified with those in the church. So this relationship, and Paul spends most of chapter four talking about this relationship that I'm emphasizing this morning. The relationship among those in the body where we each have a part to play and where each of us are fit together to participate. Right. That is a huge priority in the kingdom. But I think what you'll see and we'll kind of come back to that. So the first relationship is your relationship to others in the church. The second relationship is the individuals in the church, each of us having a responsibility to serve one another. And to submit to one another in reverence for Christ. You know, we see this. I'm not going to throw out all the different scriptures of where we see this. But there is this beautiful picture that we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. So building on what was what Paul had been stating earlier. In him, the whole body is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. As we find unity, as we find community, as we are each living to serve and to be that bowl, to be that cup, to offer, to be a vessel that God's living water is flowing through. And as that becomes our focus, then, friends, this is what Scripture says. We are being fit together to be a God where God lives by his spirit, a temple. Can you live an individual Christianity? Can you live in isolation from Christians? I believe that you could. It's possible that you could find yourself in in isolation and be a Christian still. But if we are living around others who are also Christians, it is not biblical to live an individual life without participating and finding and looking to serve a community. How else can you fulfill the scriptures that we see and things that are laid out in the New Testament? How can you do that alone? It requires that you are being a vessel and that you are receiving from one another. Right. This is the this is the image that we've got to get that we have to understand as we rethink church. The third relationship is neighbors. Right. Neighbors, you've got to speak truthfully to those that you're in community with. Right. I can just tell you right now in my experience in church that it may be one of the hardest things that may be one of the most fractured realities because mostly people live in fear of conflict. And they are convinced that conflict of of presenting something that may be true or that they're fearful of to another person living with that fear of conflict prohibits us from being able to speak truthfully and honestly with others in the body. 
as though God can't move on the scene and rectify something and unify something by us trusting him enough to lovingly be honest. Now, I didn't say just be honest. Right. I didn't say that means you have license to pull out the, the all the all the ideas that you have and all the little perspectives that you have. And you start telling everybody in the body all about them. You're going to probably walk around like a sledgehammer. Right. But to be lovingly honest. We don't need to hear your opinions. But we do need to hear from you where you understand and you've applied a truth of God and you've seen it transform your life. We do need you to share that story. We do need you to encourage us how we how you can walk in the faith. But you're like, oh, I don't want to have that conflict. I'm scared of that conflict. Well, if you're scared of that conflict, you're not walking in faith that God is the God who brought an end to the conflict. He's the God who brought an end. He has reconciled us to himself. And he is reconciling us to one another that we can be a body together. But, friends, we've got to get off the the little throne seat of our own life and think, oh, I know how that would work out if I said something. No, I believe that in trusting and in choosing to love and expressing what you believe to be true in love, we can find a unity together. So your neighbors in the body, then we'd kind of dive into and we see other relationships, wives, right? Then we see husbands. Then we see Paul addressing to children, instructions to children, and then to fathers. And then we get into chapter 6, he addresses slaves, you know. And I would say slaves co- translates into those who work for other people, right? And then you see masters being addressed in chapter 6. Those who have other people work for them. It's not just about slavery. Yes, it was about slavery in that day, but it is, it is for every one of us or it's not for any of us, Right? It is to be a person who works to serve others. It is also to be a person who has others serve them, right? There's a reality that in all the relationships of our life. Now, I don't know if what you think, but if we had to come up with a list of key relationships that you and I have in our reality, day-to-day living, on the fly, I think there's a pretty good chance Paul's pretty much got the list covered. In this list of nine people, I'm, I want to talk to you about the relationships with those in the church, relationships with those in the body. He spends a lot of time on that. I want to talk to you about relationships in the home, wives, husbands, children, parents, right? Fathers, mothers. I, I want to talk to you about relationships that you have outside of here and place that you work or the people that you're around, right? Your neighbors in general, right? I mean, I think he covers relationships, That's what the second half of Ephesians is about. Now, why does Paul, Paul is a bright man. Why does Paul make relationships the framework for all the realities and the truths of chapters one through three to be the pegs that things hang upon? Because this is where the truth of God is applied into our lives. And where we're missing that in our relationships, where we're missing that to be. A people reflecting God's heart to be that cup that he fills and offers life-giving water to, flip, to, to nourish other people. Where we're missing that, we're missing the reality of who we're called to be as church. And so once again, whatever your thoughts were a church before this message, I'm just praying and hoping that 
a light comes on for you that you can reimagine the reality of this thing that God's called us to, to be a community and to be a body. Because where we miss that, we won't understand. We may read and see the information, but we won't understand how to apply these truths into our life because they're applied in our relationships. Now, if I asked you about the relationships in your life, and let's just say that your list you know, your, your list that you made up was similar to this. OK, these are most of my relationships, you know, and we could say work in general is all these different aspects. You know, I think we've got a lot of life covered. But now let me again kind of rethinking and having that aspect of church and life on the shelf. Here's a moment to kind of rethink this reality of of what we're being called to in the church and the body. For most of us. What we've kind of understood how the importance of that role in a relationship in our life is probably pretty far down on the priority scale in accordance with these lists. Work would be pretty important. Family, everybody would probably say my relationship with God is primary. My relationship with family is secondary. My relationship at work is really important. My relationship in the body culturally, if we're honest, is probably down the list. What I see over and over again, especially in our immediate culture, you know, our relationship and our commitment to, you know, the Little League baseball team, our relationship and commitment to the activities that, you know, we're that we're a part of outside the church. Oftentimes is I'm not saying that it's wrong in every case. I'm just saying perspective wise, if we're going to be the church, then we have to have the priority that Scripture is suggesting that we have be a priority in our life. And Paul spends the entire chapter four talking about this relationship. The reason that you're here this morning. The reason you're here this morning is not to hear me speak. The reason you're here this this morning is not to be led into worship. Those are reasons. The primary reason that you're here this morning is just look to your left and your right. According to Scripture, the primary reason you should come to church is to join God in what he wants to do to invest into the person sitting next to you or the person at the end of the row. And friends, if we're going to be a New Testament church, we have to reimagine what that church looks like. And that reimagining means we need to reprioritize some things. We need to let the truth of God be the priority and the reality in our lives. There is this call that he is made to us. He has called us and he has commissioned us to be agents of his kingdom, reconciling people to him, being used, but being a body together. How do we do this? I think we see this reality in how to do this when we when we get past verse one in chapter four and get into verse two. So let's take a look at, at these verses as a prisoner then of the Lord. Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling That worthy piece is what we focused on last week. Worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You want a recipe for how to have a healthy relationship? You have to humble yourself to embrace verse 2. You want to know how to present truth? Verse 2. You want a recipe of how to engage and the spirit and the heart in which you look to have relationship with those in the body. It's verse two. You want to get things out of wrinkle and out of step. Don't participate with verse two. 
I had a I had a, a heavy reality. My 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 parents are, are getting a little older and my, my older sister and I sat down and had kind of a healthy conversation with my parents over something, you know, this summer. And um, and we started getting into the weeds of, of this thing and, and I started getting impatient. You know, how many of you can get impatient with your parents? Right. Please tell me I'm not the only one in here. I got a little impatient with my parents. And um, and I had apologized. I said, you know what? I, I messed up in in what I said to you. And I don't I mean, in what I said to you the other day and what I messed up was not with the passion in which I was trying to share and the heart in which I was trying to share. I messed up because I wasn't being patient. I wasn't being patient with you. Right. I wasn't bearing out the weight of the moment in love. Like I wasn't completely humble. I wasn't being gentle. And as I just apologized for that, and that became the recipe in which this is the, this is the spoon that I'm stirring this, this batter together with, right? Everything can work out in relationship when we humble ourselves and we're looking to serve the other one. Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse 7, he says, give to everyone who you... Uh, to what, what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then give them that respect. If honor, then honor them. Let no debt remain outstanding. Let no debt remain outstanding. Let's just kind of pause there. Let no debt remain outstanding. If you owe somebody something, then reconcile that thing, Paul is saying. Because the only debt we as Christians should have in our lives is, and I continue reading, accept the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. We shouldn't be looking to get something like when we have this debt of you owe me, then it produces an anger in me, right? This is where these, these fractions come from. When you owe me, it produces this anger within me. When I owe you, it produces this, this shame within me, like this guilt, right? If, if, if you've got something that I want, well, then it produces this jealousy, right? That God, you owe me more. I've been working harder and yet you gave them this and I didn't get that, right? It produces this jealousy in me. Where we have these accounts of owe in our life, it just creates fractures. Let the one account that is open in our lives, and we have to work this out in relationship. We have to walk through relationships of having brothers and sisters encourage you Maybe primarily in a small group, right? Encourage you and walk you through. Okay, let's get that debt out of your life because you are angry with your mom. You are angry with your dad. And let us walk with you and help get that out of your life because that you feel like they owe you something. And that debt's got to get closed because the only thing is you should be owing this debt of love to you. And by doing that, you will fulfill the law of Christ in your life. That's this foundation that we're talking about and that Christ is calling us to as a church and that Paul so eloquently lays out in his letters to the church. So we have these three things that the, that the, the, the book of Ephesians about. We have these, these two primary foundations of, of walking the walk and loving one another, right? We have these nine relationships that Paul addresses because this is where this takes place. We have this recipe of how now do we have these relationships together and how are we going to do this? And we have this place to go do that, potentially in a small group, or maybe you're already in a small group, or maybe you're in a, a little circle of community here that you don't meet and call yourself a small group. But, you know, the band mostly is a small group. They spend time together and they're building and fostering relationships. They're looking to 
to be invested into one another's lives. Right. So it's not just a small group piece. It is being a part of the body. And where you can come to church and not know people and not be looking to to serve them and not be looking to get to know them more and let yourself be known. Then, friends, you're missing out on the kingdom being just demonstrated in your life. It's interesting terminology that Paul uses. and I'm going to close with this. So, Dan, y'all can come back up here. It's interesting at the language that Paul uses. Here in starting this this chapter, he says, as a prisoner, then. As a prisoner. For the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you received as a prisoner. Now. Most commentators suggest that Paul may have been in prison in Rome when when he wrote this letter, along with some other letters. But I want to take that language prisoner a little bit further. Because I think Paul very likely could have meant more than the fact that he was he may have been in prison when he wrote the letter. I think this is clearly evident in the other letters that that Paul wrote. This debt that he has to those who God has commissioned him to serve and to minister to. It's very clear in Paul's letters that he feels a debt to every man. To be able to present the gospel. And in that debt and in this debt to love one another, Paul holds himself a prisoner of the gospel, not just a prisoner behind bars in Rome when he's writing a letter. But Paul, I believe, is absolutely stating a fact, if not here, then clearly other places in his letters, that I am a prisoner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am bound to it. Like I have a chain around my ankle, I am bound to this gospel. I cannot get away from it. It's, it is everything that I am tied to. It is what I am rooted in. I cannot get away from my debt to love my neighbor and to share the gospel and have them have an opportunity to come into the kingdom. I am imprisoned to this gospel because of my love. I am compelled To whatever means is necessary to love those in this world and share this gospel with them. Live this gospel with them and to be in community as a as this gospel leads me to. Paul finds himself a prisoner of this gospel. And as I was chewing on that this week, these are the thoughts that came to my mind. A prisoner to all that God has done. He has taken my pride. He's taken my self-righteousness, my self-justifying, my self-serving. He stared at me in the face in the midst of all my shame, in the midst of all my anger, in the midst of all my jealousy and said, I love you. And in replace for all those things and more, he said, and, and I, I just don't want you to know that I love you. I want to give you my love. I want to give you my patience. I want to give you my kindness and gentleness and, and faithfulness. I want to give you my self-control. I want to lavish these gifts upon you. I want to fill your bowl with these things. And I want you to watch me change lives before your very eyes by just being a bowl that I'm poured out through 
to hungry and thirsty people who are in need of a hope. Are you willing to reimagine church with me? Are you willing to be a people who are called by his name, who look upon this cross of Jesus Christ and say, I must have this man be the reality of my life. I find myself a prisoner to the hope that he brings in others' lives. I find myself a prisoner to this gospel in light of all that he has done for me and all that then he graces me with by the power of his spirit. I choose to say yes. If there's anything in life I could be in prison to, it would be this one thing. Let me be a prisoner before you, Lord. I want to live my life as an offering laid out as a sacrifice on the table and let my life just be sung as a song of worship to serve those in the church and to serve my brother and sister and to be in community and walk with them through whatever and not being quickly offended and not be quickly hurt and not trying to hold on to the things that I think I'm I'm owed, but instead just looking to be given out as a debt to to love one another. Then, friends, if you can reimagine that church, you can reimagine who we're called to be as a church. Because that's what we're about. And that's what this study that we're walking through is. You're going to be challenged to look at your marriage. You're going to be challenged to look at your role as a father or a mother. You're going to be challenged to look at your role as a child. You're going to be challenged to look at your role as a boss or as an as a, as a employee. And is God having his way? Is he using you as a bucket to pour out life-giving water in all those relationships? Where you're missing on some of that, I've got good news for you. We have this gospel that we can rethink and reimagine and be a different church than the church that I have known and maybe that you have too. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we ask you to come and have your way. We ask you to come and, and just fill our hearts with hope this morning. Fill our minds with the truth of uh, what you're calling us to, to be a body where we each serve one another. And Lord, you even give us gifts to serve one another with that you're building us up, Lord, that you're uh, you're inviting each of us to to contribute at the table. Because, Lord, your plan is to knit together a body that that becomes a, a dwelling place for your spirit to reside. So, Lord, I can just simply say we need a lot of help. We cannot do this, and thank you that, that you never intended us to do this on your own. Your intent, your plan is to, by grace, fill each of us and put gems in our pocket that didn't exist. Encouragement. Counsel. Love. Tears for one another. Prayers that move mountains on behalf of one another. Thank you that you've called us to more than just being a place that we show up on Sunday and check a box. Now, Lord, I invite you to be a peace that, um, that leads us and directs each step along this journey. Teach us how to embrace your humility and your, your gentleness and kindness and, and love Jesus, come and have your way. In Jesus' name, so be it. We're going to take the next few minutes. I'm going to invite the prayer teams to come forward. And 
And if you're new to Vintage, uh, kind of the way we end the services, you're, you're now free to free to go if you need to go. But I have offering baskets on my right and left. We do ba- offering a little bit different. You can come place something in these offering baskets. Or we also have a box um, on the wall by the, by the door on your way out. We have teams on my right and left of people that are willing to pray for you and like to pray for you if you would like to receive prayer. And we have communion on my right, your left. That we, as you take communion, you're doing so in remembrance of all that was done for you on the cross. That Christ's body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you. And as we come together, we always have this available for your remembrance of the price that was paid for you to be able to lay things down and receive the goodness of what God has in store for you. So you guys are free to go, but we're just going to spend the next few moments in, as a, in, in a time of worship if you would like to stay.